Welcome to the Only One Business Show with me, your host, James Nathan, chatting to some of the UK's leading business professionals, sharing tips, insights, and advice on how to create amazing customer experiences whilst building bigger, better, and more profitable businesses as a result. What can you do in your business today and in the years to come to truly delight your clients? What exceptional experiences can you give them to take away and cherish? How can you delight the most important person in the world? Satisfaction makes you one of many. Delighting clients makes you the only one. And you can't be just one. You have to be the only one. Hello and welcome to the Only One Business Show with me, your host, James Nathan. And today I've got a fabulous guest for you and I think you're going to really enjoy his view of the world. He's a man who suggests that setting realistic and achievable goals does not work and works around a a credible uh, principle called the Massive Goal Principle. He's an interesting man in that he spent his life working with a variety of people, but a lot of the time with with school kids, with kids who and and young adults who are coming out into the world. He's hosted various different shows on lots of different topics. And away from the the day-to-day of work, he loves to raise money for charity. In fact, he's raised over half a million pounds for different charities, including organising a trek across the Great Wall of China, which having walked on for about five minutes myself, um, is is a hell of a thing. He's also an extremely proud husband and father, and I've got to say, a really good guy. Please welcome David Heiner. David, how are you? I want to meet this guy, James. He sounds great. He sounds awesome, <laughs> doesn't he? How are you? So what, massive goals do not work. What do you mean by that? Yeah, well, everyone who has ever read a book, been on a course, been sent on a course, or seen speakers talk about goal mm-hmm. setting, they're always taught realistic and achievable targets, or the buzz phrase is... Smart, yeah. Specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, time focused, or time bound goals, and it's been taught since the late seventies because of a project manager called George T. Duran, uh, who worked on multi billion dollar water utility projects mm-hmm. in the states, and because of that, the business schools picked up on it and they started saying your goals should, therefore should be smart. Right. So, in water utilities, that doesn't matter. Does um, well, the, the problem, James, is that he didn't set smart goals. He actually set smart steps to massive projects. Right. He was misquoted. Um, and, and the reason that I talk about massive goals rather than realistic and achievable targets is because in my research, which is to date about 238 about uh, top <laughs> achievers uh, uh-huh. from every walk of life you could imagine at every level of success from every continent virtually on the planet, asking mm-hmm. them the specific question, how do you set goals? Please tell me, James, how many do you think of them, when asked the question, how do you set goals, answered by saying, ooh, I set realistic and achievable goals? Uh, Let me guess then, none. Bang on the money. (laughs) Uh, Not one of them, not a single one of them to date in 21 years have said, I set realistic and achievable or smart goals in their answer to that question. They all said things like massive goals. So if that's what they do, and the guy who said smart goals was misquoted. Why are we teaching it, kids? Why are we teaching it as sales teams? Why are customer services directors and teams across the world, globally, just doing safe? 
well, they do safe because it's safe. And if they're if they're not, but the people you're talking to, are they just everybody? I mean, you you talk about high achievers, but they're yeah. just normal people, aren't they? They are. They are amongst the most normal people. The people, the people at the very highest level tend to, and I'm, I'm over egging the pudding here, James. But they yeah. almost like become quite zen and very down to earth and normal. It's that the people who tend to prance around in the shiny suits pointing fingers and trying to build themselves up are the people two or three rungs down from the very top right because they're desperate to hold on to their position and desperate to get up to the top uh the people at the top are fearless so they just become very normal mm-hmm. they think and behave differently to us but they're normal people they actually become far more relaxed far more conversational and they're very open it's the people two or three rungs down who are what I would call the tenacious beasts trying mm-hmm. to desperately tread on people to hold their position and get to the top. They're the ones we have to worry about. What makes the people who achieve the top rung so different to the ones two or three below? There, there are two standout things from the research. Number one is that they don't set smart goals. They set mm-hmm. massive goals. Yep. But what drives their goals and their behaviours, so personally and professionally, is that they know why. They have a purpose, a reason to do it bigger than their fear of failure. So if if you or I were to raise money to um, sorry to sign up for a marathon, now, mm-hmm. I don't know if you run, James, but I'm not built for speed. David, you, for- you've seen me. <laughs> <I'm> not- <laughs> Um, so, yeah. so if we were to set a massive goal of you and I, we're going to run a marathon next year, which, mm-hmm. by the way, I really don't want to do. Um, Good. Let, and, let, <laughs> and, let, and let's just say you have got a, a cause that yep. burns inside of you, whether it's kittens, puppy dogs, children, starvation, injustice, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And I'm just doing it because I want to run a marathon. Right. On a cold, wet, December Sunday morning at 5 a.m., you're the one that's going to get out the duvet mm-hmm. and go for a training run in the rain. I'm going to the one that rolls over and hits snooze on the clock. Right. Because you've got a reason bigger than the pain to mm-hmm. go out and achieve the goal. I get that in, in the example you've given me, but how does it work in business? How does purpose work? Are we talking the Simon Sinek kind of stuff or is it, is it different to that? Well, Simon Sinek and, and my research, we came up with an identical model, but in very different for different reasons mm-hmm. and also he talks about values an awful lot a lot of people who talk about purpose will talk about values they never consider insecurities who are 50 percent of who we are you know we must do things not only that are congruent with our values but also satisfy our insecurities otherwise they'll crop up right but if, if, if you want to talk about how this applies to business let's talk about customer service let's talk Great. about yep. uh, recruitment let's talk about any any genre of business that you want to um if uh, okay customer service if somebody is in a customer service position and they're doing it for a job mm-hmm. they might get good but there will be moments where they'll go that will do if somebody, not through being servile through insecurities, but mm-hmm. through a genuine desire to serve and offer great, I mean, outstanding service, they will consistently deliver forever 
at the very highest level and do things spontaneously that even the company haven't asked them to do. Right. They will go over, above, beyond. They will do the things that you know most people don't do. And they're not doing it out of obligation. They're doing it out of a desire to be the very, very best. So is that hiring correctly then? Is that hiring the right people? Bang on the money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it all comes down to, you know, you, you're not going to hire an accountant to do customer service and you're not going to hire someone like me to do accounts. It's, it, you know, it is horses for courses. Right, right now in, 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 across the world, there are, there are, there are organisations who are putting cots and beds and comfy chairs in, and into offices because they're realising now that the dreamers, the creative people, actually, they need a rest. You know, they're just as, if not more, valuable than the detail people crunching the numbers and the salespeople out hitting the ground. I'm really fascinated by that cultural thing because I see so many different types of businesses, and you know, we we look at the the, the big starry businesses who have the. You know, I remember going into Google in London, and you know, there there are. It is exactly as you expect it to be. There are table tennis tables and there are healthy eating things, and there is a place for the band to play, and there's all that kind of stuff. Um, and smaller businesses look at that and think, oh, that's really cool. We'll do that. But that's not aligning with their own business, is it? That's just copying someone who's successful. Well, again, that's the difference between a purpose and a goal. So uh, there's, a, there's a smashing guy who's got a great business up in the north, and it's called Casato. Right. Casato make funky, high-end designer, what he calls baby furniture. Mm-hmm. Basically, cots, prams, car seats. Uh-huh. Right? Yeah. And but it's funky stuff, really high end. And he he's his passion is to rid the world of boring baby furniture. Now he puts a playroom in for the staff. Now, if, as you quite rightly said, you can go to some offices where it's like a beanbag, a dartboard, and a microwave <laughs> that hasn't been cleaned in three weeks. Uh-huh. You know, and and that is not a playroom. Yeah. This guy dedicates a whole floor of his office. And it is honestly, if you and I were to walk in there, we could spend a week and not get bored. It is insane. Is it, what was that Tom Hanks movie um, with the toy? Was it called Big? Big? Yeah. yeah, big. <laughs> yeah, better than that. Right. It's better than that. Wow. And and if you go upstairs to the playroom, you have to come down using the slide. <laughs> Fantastic. But that he doesn't play at it. It's you know, you go big or you go home. Right. It's it's either we're doing this. Don't play at it. You either do it or you don't. There's some. There's, I had a conversation on a podcast recently with with a guy who said purpose is nonsense. Um, it's uh, it's all claptrap. Uh, we just uh, it's it's it, businesses don't need a purpose. Businesses need to get on with it and and do the right thing by their customers. Is there an essence of truth in what he's saying, or do you completely refute that? I say people who hire a PR company company to um, get a little key cliched statement that they can stick on the reception wall when people walk in mm-hmm. a complete and a nonsense waste of time i say anyone who is willing to have a deep dive into either themselves as an individual or them as an organization and create a statement that everybody rallies behind will become indestructible because they do the right things effortlessly uh-huh. if they buy into it I remember having a conversation with you a few years ago now when I started out in public speaking and, and you were talking to me about purpose and I found it really difficult to get to the heart of that. 
Um, and in fact, when I did get to the heart of it, my purpose was a very personal thing. It was about family and about security and and, and what have you. Um, yeah. What I do is I work in an area where I have a real passion with a real love for it, but I don't consider that a purpose. Or am I misjudging myself? I think you answered the question. Right. Your your passion is security for you and your family. How are you doing that through your business? Right. So you are not going to provide security for you and your family by being average and half cocked in your business. Oh, no, absolutely not. And you know, but I also believe that, you know, that we people who have a of a of a kind of taste for running businesses will look for opportunities. I'll look for positions where they can exploit a marketplace. They'll do that naturally because that's something they enjoy doing, but it doesn't necessarily fit into their purpose. What I what I wonder is, you know, we, some businesses have a much bigger purpose. You know, their purpose is to um, to produce enough money that they can then give enough money to a charity, for instance. And that that to me sounds um, very sensible and very reasonable, but it's not everybody's style. Um, and well, can I give you a, a- a business example. Okay. I coached a business owner called Sat. He ran a reasonably successful, I have to say, uh, kitchen, luxury kitchen manufacturing and fitting business in the West mm-hmm. Midlands. We became incredibly good friends. And every time I did a charity event without asking, he would hand over the desk to me or the pub table a blank check. Now, he would write a figure on, which was always a minimum of four numbers. Mm-hmm. And he would say, just fill the name of the charity in. Now, first couple of times, I just snatched his hand off. <laughs> and then it, then I started going, hold on, Sat, I've known you long enough. Why are you doing this? You, you don't even know that what the charity mm-hmm. is, so why would you give? What if I'm giving something that's contrary to your values and beliefs? And he says, I trust you. I said, but why are you giving? He says, it makes me feel good. Anyway, I pressed and I pressed and I pressed, and it transpired eventually that he said I have to be seen to be giving more than my brother he had no idea why he was giving it was a flippant gesture Mm. I said right Sat I want you to find a reason why you're in business he says I know that he says Dave he says it's to it's to financially secure my family I went with respect you're a multi-millionaire already Mm -hmm. mate that's job done why are you still making money then and he could not answer it so he went off with his dad back to his home country for a visit to see family and spent some time in the village where he grew up. And he came back three months later looking like Captain Caveman. And he looked me in the eye and said, I now know why we must make money. And in the pit of a reception, reception, <laughs> reception, in the pit of a recession, when all of his competitors were falling off a cliff, he doubled his turnover, massively increased his profit and flew. Why? Because he came back, turned to his family and all of his staff and said, for every you know, when we reach these figures every single year, this is what we're going to do. Are you with me? And they bought into mm-hmm. it, and they flew. It's it. There's forgive me if I don't say the words correctly, but Napoleon Bonaparte. There's a, there's a quote that he says, which is, "I give my men a ribbon, and they will die for mm-hmm. me." All we need to find is that ribbon for for ourselves, for our businesses. Um, for our teams, all we need to do is find the thing that gets people up and at it. We've all got the buttons. We just don't know how to press them. 
And that involves a bit of work, a bit of effort. I can under, totally understand and accept why people would disrespect the idea of having a purpose. Mm-hmm. It's because frequently these people are terrified of looking at themselves properly. Right. They love looking at their values. That's sweet. That's easy. Mm-hmm. That's nice. Ego stroking mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah, well, let's look at the dirty stuff. Let's find out your insecurities because whether we like it or not, that's who we are as well. And if we understand them, they become a strength because we can use them in decision making. You know, I firmly believe that businesses are very good at looking at the good stuff and patting themselves on the back. I don't think businesses, a whole, a lot of businesses anyway, are good at looking at the bad stuff. And the negatives yeah, is yeah. where we improve. The insecurities are where we look for what we need to do next to, to change and to become greater and become better. And the more we look at negatives, the better our businesses get. There's a fantastic quote from um, one of uh, Gordon Ramsay's books where he talks about um, reviews and customer reviews and says, you know, it's all well and good to, um, to, to get the nice reviews where people say it was wonderful, but we know we're good. What I need to look at is what's bad. I need, and he doesn't look at any reviews that are good. He doesn't care. He just wants to see the negative reviews and look for patterns. And if you can find it, you know, one, one bad review, that's no good. Two bad reviews, exactly the same problem. There's a systematic error and they need to fix it. And I think that's quite a, uh, yeah, <laughs> thank you. I think that's a, a really <laughs> neat way of looking at things. We only get better by changing the things we're not good at. We can get better at the good things we're good at. But so, sorry, flipping back to goals and, and setting those massive goals, is there a way that people should start to think about that? Oh, certainly. Just before mm-hmm. we do that, can I just tell what you've Please. just said? Because what you said, what you said there was gold dust. But there's 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 an there's a there's a layer of cream on the top that is huge value for any company or team that invests in looking at right. purpose, which is they get higher staff retention, higher staff morale, higher higher output and efficiency, which means less stress, more money in the bank. Well, that's great for everyone, isn't it? It's a win-win chicken dinner, isn't it? It's, 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 it can't, how can you lose, yeah. really? Um, so, back to your question. <laughs> um, yeah, how can people look at the idea of massive goals? Well, again, it stems from having a purpose. Because when, when you're purpose-driven, you naturally and more confidently look bigger. Mm-hmm. You, you just do, because you're more courageous, you're slightly more bulletproof, and so you do. You look bigger. Now... I would strongly recommend that people have themselves, and I'm sure you've had other people chat to you about this, a mastermind mm-hmm. group. Once you've got an idea for what it is you want to achieve, personally or professionally, get yourself a little team around you. I call it you know, like a kick-ass group, mm-hmm. as I call it. You've got people who will two things most people avoid that top achievers seek. Okay, so here's another trait from right. the research. Two things that virtually everybody avoids that top achievers proactively go and seek, which is support and accountability. Right. Because if we're, we're honest, in different parts of our lives, if we're honest, we need support, and in other parts, we need accountability. Mm-hmm. I know in my business, I need accountability, and in my home life, I need yep. support. And I'd be lying if I said I wasn't. So what when we when we get the right level and quality of support and accountability in our business in our lives we fly because you can't just tell a sob story oh i haven't got that done this week because because people will look at you and go mm-hmm. not good enough step up because they're fearless because they've got your best interests at heart yeah and and i would strongly wrong recommend that you don't have friends in your mm-hmm. group 
because it turns into a fireside chat. It, everyone is too nice to tell you the truth, and you must have people with different skill sets, right. and they must be at or above your level. And when you talk about different skill sets, there's diff- it's different mindsets, isn't it, that you really want? Do you want different views? Valid point. Yeah, yeah. What what in my, in my I was in a mastermind group until about two years ago. It ran for three mm-hmm. years, which is quite a long time for a mastermind group. And I had the people in my group who's who were lovely mm-hmm. people, but they challenged me to my core. I mean, at times, genuinely scared me because they were financial people, they were high end technology people. Uh, software engineer was one of them, and these these people fried my right. brain. But they dragged me kicking and screaming out of my fear to accept the things I had to do in my business. Mm-hmm. But likewise, they were surrounded by people just like them. And in our group, I was the one who gave them a million one ideas and then looked them in the eye and went, Really? You're not doing mm-hmm. it yet? You know, so you know, I was the one who sat on them. And that was a bad thing for them. But uh, <laughs> so it's really important, as you say, you have different mindsets who will give you a totally different perspective when needed, the support, hold you to account. Uh, but more importantly, they, they they will give you the confidence and they'll drag you kicking and screaming to their level. So what, at what point of your career do you, do you need a mastermind group? I would say as soon as you've got an idea for a massive goal. Right. As soon as you've got an idea, you know, and they take it to the table and try not to work on too many things for the next 12 months. Try and stick with one or two projects at best, one personal, one professional, go big or go home. And, the statist- and if anyone's afraid of massive goals, mm-hmm which is very common, even though people don't admit it, it's really common. If anyone's afraid, here are the stats, okay? For every five massive goals most people set, there will be one that will crash and burn. Yep. It might hurt you. Mm -hmm. You might get scabby knees, you know? there'll There'll be one or two that will barely work. There'll be one that will do really quite well, and there'll be one that you will knock out the ballpark and you'll get known for it. And people won't even consider the failures. Now, if you were only to crash and burn once every five times and you're talking big, big stuff, now, some people would still say, not prepared to do that. Personally, to me, good odds. I'm having that. (laughs) Good odds. Oh, absolutely. I was talking to, um, I was out for a drink last night actually talking to a friend of mine who's going to, uh, he's trekking to base camp um, at Everest, which is a, a fun thing to, well, for, he, for him it's a fun thing for to do for me. It's a nightmare. Um, but he was talking about people climbing K2 and people climb K2, which is the second biggest mountain in that range, all the time. One in three die, okay, which is a hell of a statistic. And all we're talking about is one in five ideas not working. Yeah. Um, it seems a bit silly not yeah. to start, doesn't it? Well, also, and the, whether I work with chief executives or whether I work with students in high schools, I pause, I look people in the eye and say, so how is it possibly serving you not finding out how good you can be? You talk about um, about massive goals and smart goals. And, uh, you know, the more you th- I think about smart goals, the more I wonder why people, why would you want to be, you know, why would you want to be ordinary? Why would you want to mm. be mediocre? M- mediocre? Isn't that what smart goals are doing? Well, one of the people I interviewed was a guy called Tim mm-hmm. Watts. He was poor as a kid, 
really poor. And him and his mum started a little recruitment company that turned into Pertemps. Right. Now, at, at the time of interview, they were the second largest recruitment company in Europe. Mm-hmm. He's a very successful man. And his quote to me when I said, how do you set goals, was big, fat, hairy goals. <laughs> and I said, are you aware people are being taught to set realistic and achievable goals? He laughed. I mean, belly yeah. laughed. And then the quote, one of my favorite quotes of all time from a top achiever is this. He stopped, he paused, and he went, you're serious, aren't you? <laughs> you, mean, you mean we're setting people up for mediocrity at best? Crikey. And that is the perception of smart goals mm-hmm. to really effectively succeeding people. Do you know, I, th- I think that's a – I'm going to write that quote on a wall. I love that. Um, I talk a lot about satisfaction surveys, and I think it's the same thing. When when people go to a restaurant or they go to a business or whatever it might be, and we send them a thing saying, how did you find the the service and how did you find the, the quality of our product and blah, 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 and it's always a one to five, and, you know, and then they call it a satisfaction survey. And I wonder Ooh. how the hell people are bothered by that because who wants satisfaction? No one goes into a business and says, please satisfy me. <laughs> You know, my, my favourite quote I, I use a lot is, you know, you don't go to a, a restaurant, run outside and sh- call your mum and shout, mum, mum, I had such a, such a satisfactory meal. Do you hell? It's the same thing, isn't it? It's said if you're not ach- trying to achieve the absolute best you can be, why bother? 100%. 100%. I mean, if you, if you, want to, if you like your quotes, here's another mm-hmm. one. Uh, from world-renowned marine design engineer, 12 times world powerboat racing champion, Jules Morgan. Uh, this is clin- clinically one of the most fascinating minds I've ever met, and I'm proud to call this guy a mate. Mm-hmm. There, he he said, realistic and achievable goals do not work. He says, can you name me anything at all of man or womankind's greatest ever achievements that even would have started if they'd have set realistic goals? And when I asked that of any audience in the last 19 years as a speaker, mm-hmm. speaking to 50,000 people a year most years. There is just this awkward silence. You've achieved just like that, just like just like that well, one. I was going to say, <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to give you an awkward silence, but you, you've achieved yeah. a lot of stuff, Dave. I mean, you, you've, I know that, um, and I, you probably you, you're not a boastful guy, but there are only 16 people in the um, the Professional Speakers Award of Excellence group. And you're one of those, and that's a wonderful thing. How? What's next for you when you achieve such great, great stuff? What, what do you do then? I, I have massive goals. You know, you have to walk your talk. Um, along the way, I do things that, for my situation, are big goals. Mm-hmm. But my 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 uber goal is to get the goal setting process in front of every single young adult in the UK within a year. Because if we do that, there's a high percentage that will use it, and then this country is sorted ten years from now. Uh, my, pers- my personal mm-hmm. goal, my personal goal is, uh, it's one that at the moment many people would say are, is impossible. My my son has very limited vocabulary because he has severe autism and special mm-hmm. needs, and I want a conversation with. My- well, I. So personally would love to hear you have that i think that would be an amazing thing but why is that not achievable technology is moving on science moves on he's 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 moving on um yeah yeah everything at the moment suggests that that will never happen but um 
my wife and I, we 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 think different. We will we will keep pushing. Well, Eugene Cernan, who was the last man to walk on the moon, was quoted. Um, there was with a conversation in, in. I was reading his autobiography recently, and someone said, uh, "Can you achieve that?" And he said, "Well, my footprints on the moon." And I thought, do you know what? <laughs> if if someone hadn't said we're going to the moon. There would be no footprints on the moon. You said something back then, though, in, w- while you were talking, that I thought was was really important. You said, "For my situation, yeah, setting goals outside of your expert, well, you, people's goals vary, and what might be huge for one person is not huge for another. It might be, you know, the sandwich shop in our village might want to be the best sandwich shop in the village, not the best sandwich shop in the world or the biggest chain. Or, you know, it's a, it's a very personal thing." Um, I love that little bell. I've got to. I've got. <laughs> I'm going to have to keep talking till you ring it more. But then also, what I what I I wonder is when when you look at these businesses. Obviously, you know, joining a mastermind group is an individual process. Um, being trying to be the very best you can be in your role or your business is an individual thing. How does that scale when we're looking at bigger businesses and businesses that are growing? How can you scale that process? Oh, right. Well, again, I'm going to sound like some cliche consultant now for a little bit, sorry, but um, that that's where big decisions must not be made by a board of directors on an away day. That's where big decisions must have hearts and minds. It, it must be everything must be, everybody must be involved from the cleaner right up to the chief executive, to suppliers, to customers, to your next door neighbour, you know, in, in the next office or because our the way we operate affects everybody so why wouldn't they be involved in the decision making process how is that possible though a lot of work that most people are afraid to do it just means work it's not hard it's just hard work mm-hmm. you know it means really really investing some time energy and effort into understanding what your company is what it stands for what is and is not acceptable you know, what What are the lines in concrete, not sand, that the company draws, both in a positive sense and in a negative sense? You know, what lines do we never, ever cross? And when everybody understands these boards, it buys into them and have been involved in it, you know, no, no one's going to be involved in a purpose created by somebody else. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, actually, that's not true either in hindsight, is it? Because... You, uh, throughout history, there have been leaders who have got people to lay down their lives for them. Um, you, you could do it in a malicious sense with, you know, re- insane religious cults, and you know the leaders get people to do all sorts of things. So, it can, the, you know, the force can be used for evil as well. Mm. But in, in a positive context, it's just about talking to people and genuinely listening to them taking it on board and creating a model with them, a framework around these are, this This is who we are, not who I am or the board are mm-hmm. or what we'd like to be. This is who we are, warts and all. Because you said something earlier before we came on air about I'm gearing my business towards working with companies who are, are groovy, you know, who people who get me. Mm-hmm. That's exactly it. When you're purpose-driven, you easily say no to the customer, even if they're offering you telephone numbers in turnover, mm-hmm. if you know in your heart that they're going to be a ball ache to deal with and are going to suck the life from you. Oh, David, I love what you've just said there. There are so many times where, particularly when businesses are newer, 
um, and you know money's often tight, and you know you need to get some cash in because there's bills there. There are opportunities to take business that really doesn't work for you, and it mm-hmm. never ever works out. I mean, from my my personal experience of that is, you know, if you every time you take a piece of business or you pitch for something that you don't genuinely believe is the right thing to do, it won't be. Um, it's the equi- it's the equivalent of putting a gun to your head. It's, you know, it's, yes, you're absolutely right. There are moments when you start out where you need turnover. Mm. But eventually it gets to a stage where people just want more, 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 more. Well, actually, how about more of the right stuff instead? Yeah, you do much better work for people that you have a, a connection with. You do much better work when it's right inside of your niche. Um, and that just resonates and it gets talked about and all the good stuff comes as a result. A month ago, I, t- I said no to two customers within a month and it killed me because they were both really good kids. Mm-hmm. Um, but but then, you know, within weeks, you, you find a company that you work for where they, they are just exactly the same as you. They're bullish, they're proactive, they're driven, but they're also really quite immature like mm-hmm. me. And we just get each <laughs> yep. other. We just get each other, and you know, we, I rave about them. They rave about me. They book me for two days next year again, and it's just when you work with people just like you, magic happens. So why on earth would you hang around with cows when you can hang around with rhinos? Oh, I was waiting for you to say that. In fact, I'm having a cup of tea in my rhino cup today because I thought <laughs> I'd better get that out. David, thank you so much for so many great thoughts there. You always open my mind to a whole world of different different think, thinking. One thing, though, could you leave us and the listeners with just one great idea, one big golden nugget to make their businesses better today and better for the years to come? Stop trying to be liked. (laughs) Stop trying to be liked. Um, This is a mixture of things from research and also from a mutual friend of ours, Nigel Rissner. It's stop trying to be liked and instead, by your actions, do things that earn you trust and respect because if you're trusted and respected you won't be liked you'll be loved by your customers oh that's fantastic david thank you so so much god bless you man i hope you really enjoyed this episode of the only one business show and i look forward to sharing your company again very soon if you'd like to subscribe please do so wherever you pick up your podcasts and in the meantime have a great day bye for now